Do you like the show and want to help support us? Want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Programs. It is episode uh, one thousand three hundred thirty-seven. What <laughs> this was like one eleven. <laughs> Another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins, and my name is Derek Diamond. So, Derek, I hear you got a, f- a funny little thing for that you want want to rant on tonight. So, I, I would like to jump directly into that. Oh, geez, I'm so um, excited. Okay, so. I got to give a shout out to Nerd Cave Retro fan Brandon Rutledge for posting this on Facebook. And the headline was very intriguing. And as soon as I read it, I thought we've got to talk about this on the podcast. It's not gaming related, but I know you back in the pop culture palette days would love to talk about the overutilization of political correctness in today's society. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> So just strap your seatbelt on. This comes to us from dailywire.com. The headline reads, bringing home the bacon is now offensive. (laughs) Guess who it offends? (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. I am, I'm not a vegan, but I am a vegetarian. I, well, actually I'm a pescatarian. I eat uh, fish, seafood, and, uh, occasionally I will eat chicken. Um, I am not hardcore when it comes to meat eating or anything like that. Whatever you want to do, you do. I do it for not only do I love animals, but I do it for health reasons. So, Which is a fair point. Yeah, and this kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even gotten into the article yet, but you... <sighs> You were you were correct in the the second part of the headline. Guess who it offends? Yeah, I already know who it offends. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I'm going to read the highlights from this article because it's actually pretty long. The common phrase "bringing home the bacon" may now be offensive to some. If you thought women, you'd be wrong. According to the Independent, phrases like "bringing home the bacon" and "putting all your eggs in one basket." aren't merely harmless quirks of the English language, but actually phrases that could be offending vegans and vegetarians. You can't even say all your eggs in one basket. You can't even say Uh, that anymore. Apparently not. So the independent article is based off a separate article, which I did not bother to read, from a researcher who said that meat is not just a form of sustenance, but a source of societal power. Throughout history... Ironically, this person's name, the last name is Hamza, kind of funny that the word ham is in their name, wrote, meat was something only the wealthy could afford while peasants had to subsist on a mostly vegetarian diet. After some literary references, Hamza then lists all the bad things meat has wrought. Climate change, environmental degradation, studies noting some negative effects of meat eating on the human body and concerns about animal welfare, which in that aspect I understand. Uh, Let's see. This is where it it just gets weird. This is a quote from the article, the separate article that I didn't read, the full thing. The increased awareness of vegan issues will filter through our consciousness to produce new modes of expression. After all, and this is an example of one, there's more than one way to peel a potato. At the same time, metaphors involving meat can gain an increased intensity if the killing of animals for food becomes less socially acceptable. The image of killing two birds with one stone is, if anything, made more powerful by the animal-friendly alternative of feeding two birds with one scone. What the fuck are you people thinking? (laughs) Jesus Christ. What about there's more than one way to skin a cat? Can we still use that one? I I guess not. (laughs) Look, I have like five cats, so <laughs> it does not offend me at all. Oh my god! And it, it just it goes on. Um, let's oh, see, 
this increase, which Hamza accepts without question, will lead people to stop using meat-based idiosms like bringing home the bacon. So basically they're saying that if we start to incorporate more, I guess, vegan-friendly terms that these classic terms, like the title says, will go away. Is it just me as a Gen Xer that I hate baby boomers and millennials equally? <laughs> I'm a millennial and I hate millennials. <laughs> oh boy. Um yeah. I hate extremes of any kind, especially and I and I don't want to say like this has uh overtones of a political it, it's a very polit political thing. It becomes a political thing. Oh, of course thing. it is. I hate extremes on both sides. I hate it. It's it's what's wrong with this country right now is nobody wants to to just sit back and go does this fucking matter? <laughs> we're going to It really doesn't. We're we're earning our our explicit tag tonight. So, if there's yes, any sir. kids listening, maybe your kids need to listen to this because look, there's bigger problems in the world right now than whether or not somebody's offended by bringing home the bacon or uh, it's not even about bacon. That's the problem is that it's about money. It's not about freaking pork. Uh, and besides the, let, let me, let me jump on the extremist side for one thing. The, the alternative of feeding two birds with one scone. What if one of the birds has a gluten allergy? Yeah. Yeah, that that might offend the animals. I mean, if they can't eat the scone. Here's here's something I actually w was wondering about because you know, eventually in the next couple of years, they're actually working on lab-grown meat at this point, which is going to, once they're able to uh, mass-produce, um, you know, lab-grown meat, it's going to change the the meat industry. It's going to stop all of the. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions that are needed for all the cows and all that different type of stuff and chickens right. and all that type of thing. Um, what we really have to worry about in this world is the ethical treatment of animals. Even uh, and the fact that we are mass producing these things and creating, you know, uh, horrible conditions for these animals. It, we have to be better. We have to at least give these animals a decent life before they are, we should find humane ways to put them down and put them on a, someone's plate if that's what you want to eat. Humans are, we've been eating meat for millions of years. It's not going to change. There are people that want to eat meat. I like to eat meat occasionally. I like a good breast of chicken. You know, I like, I like to eat it occasionally, but um, I would prefer that the, the animal that's on my plate to be treated humanely most of its life. I'd like to eat a happy chicken, you know, um, for sure. And there's ways we can do that as a, as a society. We need to be better with this stuff. But I am looking forward to the day when there's lab grown meat where they just take, you know, a little a little DNA from a cow. And then from that point on forever, they can just mass produce uh, lab-grown meat that tastes good. It doesn't have E. coli. It doesn't have any diseases in it. It doesn't have mad cow disease. It's just it's grown in a lab, and it's genetically engineered. And that's another thing. I hate people that get all uh, about genetically engineered food and GMOs. Like, we've been doing it for thousands of years. It's, the, it, it, it's not Monsanto and all that stuff. Yeah, some of that stuff's bad, but we've been creating... GMO stuff for literally thousands of years. It's how we feed ourselves. It's how we feed our overpopulation of this planet. It's not hurting anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt you. But genetically modified meat that's grown in a lab, I'll eat a burger all day if, if it comes from a lab. And I know that no animal was harmed in creating that meat. I'm totally okay with that. No, I, I agree with all that. And we probably just lost a lot of listeners who are, who are not into this stuff. But, you know. No, it's it's all good. That also led to a, a separate article that I'll briefly say is that uh, at Princeton, there is an all-male acapella group that it has been demanded that they stop singing the song 
Kiss the Girl from The Little Mermaid. Because according to a sophomore who wrote an article about it, asked the, the group to stop singing the song because, and I quote, it's more misogynistic and dismissive of consent than cute. Really? This yeah. We're, we're worried about a cover of a Disney song <laughs> than other bigger issues in the world. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's my little soapbox. I shout out to Brandon for posting that. I had a very good laugh at work today reading that. You know what's kind of weird? I was actually watching the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special a couple of weeks ago. Oh, don't even get me started on and that story. Before all this stuff happened, I was sitting there watching it, and at the end of the 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 show, it showed you know uh, Snoopy and Woodstock eating turkey, and I was like, huh. That's kind of weird <laughs> when you really sit and think about it. And then like a day later, it's all over the internet about how Woodstock is a cannibal. And then I'm yeah. like, wow, that's weird. And then like a day after that, everybody's talking about how there's some racial stuff going on because they stuck Franklin on one side of the table by himself. And I'm like, it's a cartoon, man. It was made 45 <laughs> <Yeah>. years ago. <laughs> At least they had a black years. kid in it. You know, like, really? Come on, now. If they were racist, they wouldn't have put him in the special to begin with. Exactly. Like I Jesus, just... fuck. <laughs> and Woodstock is not a real bird, okay? He was eating turkey, but that turkey was not real. It was drawn with, with yeah. a brush and inks and colors, and he's not real. He wasn't really eating the turkey. It's a cartoon. It's baby. a cartoon. So on that anyway, note, let, let's move on to gaming stuff. Yes. This came to us on ArsTechnica.com. Allo reveals his Sierra source code collection, then puts all of it on eBay. He says, this is the only copy, and I backed everything up because I knew Sierra didn't. Al Lowe, one of Sierra Online's, which you may know Sierra, we talk about him almost every single week on this, uh, this month in video game history, uh, one of the seminal game creators and programmers has been sitting on a pile of his original game source codes for over 30 years, fully convinced that they were worthless. He said, I'm 72 years old and none of my kids want this junk. Uh, he said, does anybody... Lowe was about to find out as the developer began posting eBay listings for his entire source code collection. The sales opening has been accompanied by a Metal Jesus Rocks video, which offers a 12-minute tour of backed-up files, original game boxes, original hint books, and more. As of press time, Lowe has listed auctions for the first two Leisure Suit Larry Games source codes, which bids already climbing both well above the $400 mark after they went live. Um, and I've got some see. updated numbers, but I'll tell you after you finish. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because this is about a week old. Um, but also, uh, the Leisure Suit Larry games, King's Quest, King's Quest 3, Police Quest 1, and Lowe's games based on Disney franchises, Winnie the Pooh and the Black Cauldron. So this is kind of a, a big deal, um, that mm -hmm. these are the only copies of these original source codes for these games. So I'm looking at eBay now. The source code to Leisure Suit Larry 1 mm -hmm. is up to $10,000. Wow. And how So many, is Leisure Suit Larry 2. How much longer before it's uh before it's over? Uh a little over 5 days. Okay, cuz we're we record this on Tuesday night. So this is Tuesday uh, December 4th. So if you want to get in on that and get yourself some original Sierra online source codes, now's the time to do it. It ends at Monday at 8 a.m. Okay. So you got a little less than a week. If you're, if you're listening to this live or, uh, you're listening to this Wednesday morning when it comes out on the, on the podcast, uh, feed, um, you have a little less than a week to go grab yourself up some original Sierra online source codes. This is insane. Bapa bet is up to ten grand. Wow, I I think uh, they're all gonna go over ten grand at least. Yeah, Dragon's Keep is up to fifteen hundred. Crazy. He's gonna make yeah, himself this... a lot of. I'm surprised. I mean, it, it, Sierra isn't still around, is it? 
in some form or fashion. I mean, it's probably been taken over by someone at this point, but someone has to lay claim to this stuff other than him. Uh, let's see. I don't think they are, but let me double check. Uh, Sierra Entertainment. Uh, no, they dissolved in August of 2004. So, wow, I guess all that, uh, intellectual property rights must have, must have dissolved with it. Yeah. That's Hmm. insane. No, he's, he's going to make himself some money. Yeah. He will, he will never have to work again. Yeah. Wow. That's That's crazy that he's the only one that has all that original code. Yeah. Wow. And our last story comes to us from the New York Times. The future is bright for the video games of yesterday. Scott Bachrock, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, remembers playing games like Centipede, Galaga, and Pac-Man with his friends at his local arcade in L.A. in the 1980s. It was the spot where we went to on Friday nights, uh, he says, now 50. We put our quarters on the top of the machines to play the game, and we would play for hours. Now as the chief executive of Taste Makers, a toy company, he is recreating that experience for a new generation. The business has collected licenses for his favorite games and others like Street Fighter 2 and is reproducing them in its arcade one-up arcade-style cabinets. That was a passion project, he said, that turned into a significant business for us. Uh, and then it goes on to say that they're not alone in trying to capitalize on the nostalgia, um, talking about Nintendo kind of helping jumpstart that with the release yeah. of the NES Classic back in 2016. I think this is really cool because it's somebody who legitimately grew up playing those type of games, and now he wants today's generation of kids to be able to play them the same way. Yeah, I, the reason I put this in here is because I actually went to Walmart the other day, and they had a bunch of these, um, what's the name of the, the arcade one-up cabinets? Mm-hmm. Ah, I was so tempted. I was so tempted to get one. And um, But it here's a number here. Um, let's see. Uh, one in five new consoles sold in the United States this year has been a retro plug-and-play device, uh, contributing to the overall growth in the video game industry. Sales of hardware, software, and accessories in the U.S. reached $14.6 billion in 2017, an 11% increase over, 20, uh, over 2016. That's a lot of money for retro gaming stuff. Well, I even remember when, you know, you and I were first talking about doing this podcast when it was really in its infancy, when we were talking about how popular it was going to get because you were getting back into collecting (laughs) old games. I was doing the same. And and that's that's a highlight of it is that we get to. Yeah kind of go along for the ride. And that's the thing. Like I never expected, you know, retro gaming to be as hot as it is for as long as it's been. I would have thought that there would have been sort of a drop off at this point, but every time I think it's going to start dropping off, it just keeps getting bigger. Like these arcade one up machines, these things are, are selling like gangbusters, you know, even the new PlayStation classic, everybody that poo pooed it, it's, you know, mm-hmm. people are already hacking it, and pe- and people are wanting it, and it's crazy. Like, I, where does it end? Like, I would love to be able to go buy. I would love for the price of Nintendo games to go down because I'm not in the Nintendo, you know, the NES market to flip anything. I don't want to buy anything cheap and turn around and sell it. I just want stuff for my own personal collection. Because I grew up with it, I want the stuff that I didn't get to have as a kid. And case in point, um, I wanted to do a review. Um, I think who was it? Brandon Rutledge or was it um, Tyler? Talk about who, Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard. So, it was, I can't remember. It was Brandon. Yeah, I can't remember. He he suggested that uh, we do a dual review of Die Hard the game and Die Hard the movie for our Christmas episode, which I thought was a great idea. I had no idea because I never looked before. I was never interested in the Die Hard NES game. So I called up my local retro shop and asked them if they had a copy. They did. $95 for Die Hard, the NES game. And I was like, there's no way that game is that expensive. I looked it up on eBay. It's well over $100 on eBay. And I'm just like, who is 
clamoring. I mean, is for it because die it's hard. that hard to find? I it, because I guess it's rare or uh, not really rare, but uh, it's not a common game. I guess like I would have thought Die Hard was like you know dime a dozen type of game, but I guess not. Weird. But I, I would not have expected you, that. I texted you that night. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I guess we're not doing Die Hard <laughs> for Christmas. And I was like, Yep. Screw that. Because as much as I want to have the game, I'm not paying $95 for it because I don't want it that badly. Like if no. it was a if it was a complete in box, you know, uh, I don't know, um Mega Man 2 or something, yeah, I'm throwing down $95 like right now. But not die yeah. hard, something I'm gonna play twice and then probably never touch again. That's insane. I I remember when you texted me, it just blew my mind that Die Hard of all games would be $95. (laughs) I was on the phone with the guy, and I was like, do you have a copy of Die Hard? And he was like, yeah, let me go look real quick. And he, of course, he puts me on hold, and he comes back. He's like, "Uh, yeah, we have a copy of it. I was like, well, how much you want for it? I'm thinking like five, six bucks. (laughs) He goes, $95. (laughs) And I was like, say what? What? (laughs) He's like, "Uh, $95. I was like, are you shitting me? He said, no, it's it's not exactly a common game. I was like, okay, thank you. Bye-bye. And hung up on him. I'm like, nope, not doing Does that it. include all the movies on Blu-ray? Yeah. <laughs> Does it cook me breakfast in the morning? Yeah, exactly. No, thank you. Wow. Nope. So we'll we'll do something else for our Christmas episode. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Um, I, I was trying to look up and see if there were any more Christmas-themed video games I could pick up, but there aren't that many. There is a Home Alone game, but I'm not doing it's that. awful. <laughs> no, it's, it's awful. Just let me, just as a lark, let me look up on eBay real quick, just to see, just to see how much Home Alone is for the NES. I'm looking this up live right now. Home I mean, I wouldn't want to do it just because it's not a good game anyway. Yes. Yeah. There was, I, a super, there was a Super Nintendo version that I played for about five minutes and never played it again. Oh, you can get you can pick one up for like, oh, here's one six dollars and sixty six cents. That doesn't bode well. Oh, of course. Yeah, they run because about six, seven bucks. Oh, here's one for the Super Nintendo um, starting mm-hmm. bid two dollars. Uh, you would have to pay me to play that game again. Yeah, not gonna happen. So let's nope. go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. In December of 1980, Data East releases the Deco Cassette System, the first standardized arcade platform for which many games are developed during the golden age of arcade video games. Let me look up this Deco Cassette System. See what this bad boy looks like. I like the loading screen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was the first standardized arcade system um, that allowed arcade owners to change names. The arcade owner would buy a base cabinet while the games were stored on standard audio cassettes. The arcade owner would insert the cassette and a security dongle into the cabinet. I hate the word dongle. We need to change that word. Um, yeah. When the cabinet was powered up, the program from the tape would be copied into the RAM chips. This process process took about two to three minutes after this, the game could be played freely until the cabinet was rebooted. That's pretty sweet. I'd love to get my hands on some of the old cassettes of uh, the arcade games. That would be cool to have. Do you think it would play Star-Lord's Awesome Mix Volume 1? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a terrible joke. I'm sorry. Uh, December of 1985, Namco releases Sky Kid, a side-scrolling shooter allowing two players to play simultaneously. I remember us talking about this last year. Sky mm-hmm. Kid. I like the art for it. Yeah. Like this this would be just looking at the artwork, it would be a game that I would probably beg my mom to get me. Just because um, I think it looks cool. It, it reminds me of the cover of a comic book in a way. I don't remember this game for the NES, but there was one for the NES uh, that came out in 86. Uh, and, and it was also released on the virtual console Yep. for the Wii. Oh, it's on the 3DS. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, in December of Maybe. 1986, well, lots of Namco releases. Namco releases Rolling Thunder, distributed outside Japan by Atari Games. Did you ever play Rolling Thunder in the actual arcade? I did not. 
it was a pretty good arcade game. Uh, all the ports to uh, I remember if they they made a port of it. Tengen made a, a port of it to the NES. It was not good. Yeah, I've no, I I don't really know much or really anything about this game. Again, I like the flyer. It looks very it would, comic book like. I think it would make an actually a, a pretty good re-release. Because it was a great, yeah. it was a great arcade game. It would go great on the Switch. Drink Wally. Drink Wally. Uh, December nineteenth of nineteen eighty six, Nintendo releases Kid Icarus, another game I need to get my hands on because I really want to play this game. I have not played it in decades. Uh, but yeah, I, I just the only thing I remember from Kid Icarus is that it is insanely difficult. That's what I've heard. But never, never played that one. Like I, I've said before, my my NES knowledge was was very limited around that time. Uh, I remember that uh, the, you watched Captain in the Game Master, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the uh, the guy that was like a talking eggplant? Um, uh, the eggplant wizard. Yeah, the eggplant wizard. He was from Kid Icarus. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was a good cartoon. That's what we need to do. We need to review. An episode of Captain and the Game Master. We should do a commentary. We should do that for Christmas. Yes. Yes. I'm in. Let's do that. I was hoping you'd say Legend of Zelda, but I'll settle for Captain oh, N. We, um... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We could do Captain N. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, December 14th of 1990, Commander Keen is released as Shareware, the first major platformer on a PC. Commander Keen, what is this? Um, the cover art is on point for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love that cover art. Wow. Let's see. It was, let's see. A series of side-scrolling platform games developed by ID Software. It consists of six main episodes, a lost episode, and a final game. All but the final game were originally released for MS-DOS in 90 and 91. While the 2001 Commander King was released for the Game Boy Color. Hmm. Awesome. Never, never heard of this franchise. Uh-huh. Uh, December 1st, there's a lot of stuff for 1991. So here we go. Let's get started. December 1st, 1991, LucasArts releases Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge for the Amiga, MS-DOS, Macintosh, and FM Towns. And no, we've it, talked about Monkey Island before. Yeah, if you if you're interested in playing Monkey Island, uh, any of the Monkey Island games, which are really good, you can pick them up on Steam, uh, Steam mm-hmm. and good old games. Right now, they're the you know uh, Lucas Arts point and click adventures like uh, uh, like Day of the Tentacle and stuff like that. So if you're into those type of point and click adventures, go pick up Monkey Island on uh, Steam. Absolutely. Uh, December 4th of 1991. Uh, 91 was a busy year. Yeah, it was. Uh, especially in December. Konami releases Super Castlevania 4 for SNES in North America, which I reviewed, I think... Did I review that this year or last year? Uh, last year. I think you did it for okay. last October. Yes, because it was part of the um, SNES Classic. Mm-hmm. So that, that was where I played it. such a good game. If you're into mm-hmm. Castlevania at all, this is one of the best... This Castlevania one for the NES, Super Castlevania for the SNES, and a couple of the Castlevania games that came later, like for PlayStation, uh, those were really good. So if mm-hmm. you're if you're if you want to step into Castlevania, get get these two first: the first Castlevania for NES and Super Castlevania for SNES. You can't go wrong. Yep, Super Castlevania, very good game. Uh, on December 6th of 1991, Mega Man 4 was released in Japan. I've heard of this game. I think I have too. Uh, I, I, I've heard of this Mega Man character. But it's not actually like Mega Man 2, right? Like it's the proper yeah. numerical order? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, December 13th of 1991, Tecmo releases Tecmo Super Bowl for NES, the follow-up to 1989's Tecmo Bowl. I loved the Tecmo Bowl games when I was a kid. Even though they were slightly broken. Yeah. They were they were still fun, because all you had to do was play as the Raiders, pick yeah. Bo Jackson, and you could not be beaten. 
but I, I had a lot of memories of playing uh, Tecmo Bowl with my friends on, on the weekends, like staying up really late, playing Tecmo Bowl, eating Doritos, drinking Cokes, you know, mm-hmm. all the junk yep. food you could eat. Uh, yeah, Tecmo Bowls are classic. Two more to close us out. On December 16th of 1991, Microprose releases Civilization. As of 2005, it is still Sid Meier's most successful game. I love the Civilization games. I don't know if you've ever played them. Um, actually, right now, I think you can go on uh, Steam and get Civ Five with all the DLC. I think I picked it up for like 15 bucks on a sale uh, about a year or so ago, but it's always on sale. So if you're interested in any of the Civilization games, you should do that. Plus the Civilization Revolution came out on uh, Xbox 360, which was really good. And then there's another Civilization, I think Civ Rev game, coming out for the Switch uh, early next year, which I am very interested in getting. Drink, Wally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would like to play the Civ games, but... I know it's one of those that if I did, I would probably not be able to stop. Yeah, it's definitely so, um, one of those games where I, when I started playing Civ Five, I started a game at like nine o'clock at night, and next thing I know, it's like four in the morning. So it's one of those type of games. I know exactly what you mean. And to close us out on this month in video game history, on December 1st, 1991, Sega releases the Mega CD in Japan. One of two attachments that uh, came along for the Sega Genesis. Uh, probably the most notable name for this was the uh, the Sonic CD game, which I do want to go back and try and beat at some point, but it's, it's, a, it's a very good Sonic game. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I... I really played Sega for the Sonic games. I never bothered with the attachments all that much. I played Sonic CD for the PC. Yeah. So I never actually owned any of the um, the attachments. Yeah, I didn't even own a Sega. So I have to rectify that somehow soon. I'm sure you'll be able to find one eventually. But tonight we are going to be talking about... Radical Ninja is a side-scrolling platform action game developed by Irem and published by both Irem and Data East. It was originally released in the arcade in 1986, and a year later, Irem made a home port of it on the Nintendo Entertainment System and later released it on the Commodore 64 and Apple II. Uh, Very kind of simple story to the game. Uh, Kid Nicky begins with Kid Nicky training in a ninja school, While he's training, a bird gets shot down by an arrow inside the dojo, which is weird, containing a message from the evil stone wizard saying that he has kidnapped Princess Margot. Without hesitation, Kid Nicky jumps through the school's thin wall and goes to the rescue. So there's not really much that, you know, it's a save the princess type of game, much along the lines of like Super Mario Brothers and stuff. One of the things that I noticed playing this uh, recently, like, like I said a couple of weeks ago, this is actually one of the very first, pro- I think probably the first game I ever played for the Nintendo. And then I remembered there was, um, right down the street from my house, there was this gas station. And they started to eventually um, rent videos out of the gas station. And um, then they started to rent Nintendo Entertainment Systems. So one weekend, I asked my mom for whatever it was, like 10, 15 bucks to rent a Nintendo. I rented a Nintendo for the weekend, and I got Kid Nicky. And that was kind of my first foray into playing Nintendo in my home, in my bedroom. So I have a lot of memories of playing this game. I haven't really played it much since then. I picked it up a couple of months back at a, a flea market. I think I got it for like three or four bucks. It's It's a very... Um, common game, so it's not hard to find a copy of Kid Nicky anywhere. But um, 
one of the things I noticed about this game playing it is how really difficult this game is. Like it's very much uh, in the vein of Mario. Like it's a very early Nintendo game. The the, the graphics are kind of sparse. They're not very detailed. Um, I mean, the game looks great, don't get me wrong, but it's still got kind of that early Nintendo look to it. Um, and as far as uh, the side-scrolling elements, like the hit detection is a little little too much sometimes. And you, it's one-hit deaths in this game. So that was really, really frustrating. That <laughs> so, sucks. Um, any, any questions thus far about Kid Nicky? Well, I was going to comment, you know, I did watch some gameplay of it um, before we started. It it did remind me a lot of Mario. It seems like it plays in a very yeah. similar way, like a platformer. Um, I did notice, you know, you use a sword, yeah. which w- was pretty cool. Um, it seemed like a really short game. It is. Uh, there's only six levels to the game. Uh, and the bosses are actually easier than some of the... Uh, than some of the other enemies. Like, all the enemies in the game are one-hit enemies. Um, But if you get touched, then sometimes there's really no kind of rhyme or reason to the spawning of enemies in this game. Like, there's... You can't really count on anything being the same twice. It's weird. Like, I don't know how people do speed runs, if you can even do a speed run with this game, because there's no way to predict how many enemies you're going to get at the same time. Sometimes I'll start a level, and there will be, like, just enemy after enemy coming after me, and then sometimes I start the level, and there's nobody for, like, you know, a good ways into starting the level. It's weird. And then you get stuff like, You'll have enemies in trees that throw like coconuts at you, or not coconuts, but bombs. And if you get hit by a bomb while you're trying to jump in the air or try to dodge them, you die. If you get hit, you know, you step in the fire, you die. Like everything kills you in one hit. And, the, you know, it, it's frustrating because I died so many times just like on the second level trying to get through this area where they're throwing bombs out of trees. And it's really frustrating, frustratingly hard, way harder than I remember this game being. And, um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's really a, a lot of what I have to say about the game is just the hit detection in this game is just really frustrating. Is it hard in the extent of, cause we, we've talked about this before. Is it hard in the way of you want to keep trying to beat it or is it, frustrating to where you just put the game away and don't want to play it anymore kind of uh, a little more to the latter um because there's no like kind of rhyme or reason there's no patterns that you can follow because it's different every time you go through the game there's no way to kind of learn how to go through the level and dodge things and you know like you can go through mario brothers and all the enemies are always in the exact same spots they're that you know that's what makes speed running so popular with that type of game and i don't know i mean it's a good game i'm not gonna poo poo it too much i mean i do think that this is definitely a must-have for any nintendo collection but it's kind of frustrating to the point where you just kind of just get like, uh, I don't really feel like doing this right now. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And it is available, not the NES version, but the actual arcade version is available uh, on the Nintendo Switch for the arcade archives um, collection that they have. So if you're interested in playing the actual um, arcade version of this game, you can pick it up for on the Nintendo Switch. The arcade archives are actually pretty cool. I've got the Donkey Kong one, yeah, um, and the the Mario Brothers version, and I, I like both. So, yeah, and and like I said, some some of the uh, the bosses, it's weird because you'll get you get killed so easily 
by just regular enemies, but then you're in a boss battle and you'll get like thrown all over the screen and hit and you don't die. It's weird. <laughs> it's really strange. strange. Um, but let's see, there's what, like there's, yeah, there's six levels to the game. I didn't actually finish the game. I think I got like four levels in. I got to a part where I was trying to uh, go across not a bridge, but there, there's this part where you go across and there's water underneath and there's bubbles that come up and you can't predict where the bubbles are coming from. And bubbles kill you in one hit bubbles, not lava or anything, you know, like that. It's bubbles were killing me. And I got frustrated. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. And that sounds just a little bit obnoxious. Yeah. But like I said, I would like to actually like to try the arcade version of the game on the Switch, which I might do over the holidays because I do like this game. I liked it as a kid, but it is frustrating just because of the sheer fact that there is no rhyme or reason to like the spawning of enemies or, you know, there's no patterns to anything. It's just it's so random. And that's my biggest mm -hmm. complaint with the game. Uh, which is why I actually looked up on YouTube to see if there were any speed runs, and I didn't see any. Yeah, I didn't see any when I looked at uh, I when I went on YouTube to watch the gameplay. I don't think you can speed run this game because it's so random. I would agree with that. Well, even the the gameplay version that I watched was only it was less than an hour. Yeah. For sure. So that that's I could even tell by that alone that it was a really short game. Yeah. But that I mean, uh, on a scale of one to ten, I would give it a solid six. You know, it, it's a little bit better than you know a fifty percent. It's not something you're gonna want to play all the time. But if you want that definitive, like this game is definitive Nintendo to me. That's why I like it so much. It's one of the first games I ever played. I have a lot of memories of this game. Um, and, you know, I, I give it a little bit of leeway that way. But I do think it is an essential must-have for a Nintendo collection because it does scream Nintendo to me. Like that, yeah. When I think of Nintendo, this is one of the games that pops in my head because it was one of the first ones I played. No, I, I can I can understand the sentimental value at least. Yeah, and like I said, the 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 music's really repetitive. It there's not much to really choose from. As you're gonna get really tired of hearing that this. Yeah. You're gonna hear that the whole game. <laughs> so get used to that. And uh, you know the the graphics, like I said, are very early Nintendo. Um, they're not very detailed. It's kind of, I mean, it's a good looking game. It's not ugly by any means, but it, it, it's not anything special, but like I said, it's worth having, it's worth playing. I, I, I like to play the game occasionally, but, um, I am really interested in getting the, uh, the arcade version for the switch. So I think I'm going to do that over the holidays. Yeah, for sure. But, no, yeah. it, it looked, it looked interesting from you know, what I watched on YouTube, but I can see where it would be frustrating for sure. Yeah. So any, any other questions or, or comments about kid Nikki? Um, I don't think so. I think you oh. pretty much covered uh, another thing I wanted to say. There is power ups in the game that you can get, but they don't really do anything to help. So I don't ever really bother with getting the power-ups in the game. Like, this game could be improved a lot. Um, and that's why I'm kind of interested in the actual arcade version to see what the differences were between it and the Nintendo version. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I give it a 6. So um, it's not a bad game. It's not a great game. It's just kind of one of those middle-of-the-road Nintendo games. But... I do think it should be in everybody's collection. And you can go to any retro game store and you'll probably see five copies on the shelf. I mean, this is one of those dime a dozen Nintendo games that you can pick up for like three or four bucks. I mean, it, you're not going to be paying out of your 
you know, you're not going to break the bank buying Kid Nicky. So if you come across a copy, pick it up. You'll be you'll be happy you did. So if you bring home the bacon, you'll be able to afford it. Yeah, but don't put all your eggs in the in one basket. Or uh, and there's more than one way to skin a cat for for gaining Nintendo games. I don't know. I don't know how to make those work. <laughs> but just make sure you put some bread on the table. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but is there so, anything? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to give a, uh, I was going to tell the listeners what I'm going to be reviewing next week. Oh, yes. So what's crazy is next week is technically my last review of 2018. Oh, because we have, because you'll have one more, and then we have our Christmas show, mm. and then we come back on New Year's Day. Yes, we do. Which is kind of crazy. Oh, I got to get started so, again on Metroid. Yeah, same. Um, so it, it might have been earlier this year, but you reviewed a game called Faxanadu mm-hmm. that was sent by a guy named, uh, I think his name's Nicholas. Yeah, was well, that our uh, Swedish listener? Yes, Swedish. So. <laughs> yeah. So he messaged me uh, last month on Instagram. Yeah, he did me and, too. And asked if I would review the seventh saga for the SNES. Ooh. So next week, that's going to be what I review. Nice. For our Swedish listeners. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited for the, the coming up uh, new year. Um, I'm I'm really Looking forward to our Metroid month and and uh, January. I think we need to do some more theme months coming up next year because we've got a lot of franchises that we've never covered that we need to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we've got to go over our list and figure something out because I I think you know doing at least one or two other months I think would be great. I really and think then- we should do a Lucas Arts month where we uh, we do Monkey Island Ooh. games. I like that. And let's just do a Sierra month. We'll uh we'll get some Sierra <laughs> games and <laughs> I hope you got ten grand to spare. Yeah. yeah <laughs> let me uh check between the couch cushions. <laughs> yeah, same. But yeah, um other than that, um I actually last night as you said we record this on Tuesdays. Last night I did two really good interviews for uh, my other show, which will be what's crazy is now relaunching in about a month. Ooh, it's coming up. Which is kind of crazy to think about. So um, really excited for everybody to hear the the filmmaking-themed episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience. Um, one, I, I won't give away too much, but one of the interviews I did was um, a filmmaker who has been in a wheelchair since she was seven years old and did a documentary about how disability is portrayed in film. Oh, wow. It was actually a really good documentary. Uh, and then the other is a guy who I actually met um, at Podcast Movement back in July. He's also, he does a documentary film podcast and is also a documentary filmmaker. Awesome. So I can't wait to we kind of got to cover, you know, both sides of the coin. So that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, follow that on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast and follow the news on my upcoming short film, The Parker Syndrome, which films next weekend, which is mm. kind of crazy to think about <laughs> uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Parker Syndrome. Oh, and before I forget. Monsters Anonymous is now officially on Amazon Prime. So if you're yes, an Amazon Prime, thank you. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can watch Monsters Anonymous for free. So go there, watch it, and please, for the love of all that is holy, please leave us a rating and leave us a review. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be like Siskel and Ebert style, like, you know, page and a half review. Just go on there say you like the movie. Or hell, even if you hated it, leave a review. I don't care. I just want reviews and ratings. So go on there, look up Monsters Anonymous. It will pop up for you on Amazon Prime, and you can watch it to your heart's content because I'm leaving it up there forever. That's so awesome. I know. Okay, congrats to you, Wally, and everybody that was involved with it. Thank you. Thank it's, it's you a, so much. And I'm not saying this because I'm friends with you two, but 
it's a really good movie. It's, you should go watch it. It's been a long road to get to this point, too. I mean, that it's been coming up on three years. Uh, it came. We That's filmed crazy. it in 2016. Um, what April? Yeah, mm-hmm. April of 2016, and uh, we're what like four months away from the three year mark of actually filmed it, and now it's finally on Amazon Prime, and the world can see it anytime they want. So go there now and watch it. Monsters Anonymous. Directed by Jeremy London, starring Brian O'Halloran, Dante from Clerks, uh, Jackie Siegel, the uh, the Queen of Versailles herself is in it, Juliet Reeves London is in it, uh, and just go watch it, please. I'm begging you, go watch it. Well, and and you're in it. Oh yeah, well me and Wally <laughs> wrote it, so uh, you know, <laughs> I'm in it. Uh, Wally, Wally's part might've been my favorite of the entire movie. Yeah. I think yeah, that would, that's the part that gets the biggest laughs every time <laughs> people watch it. <laughs> you, you, you can't recreate that kind of comedy. So we'll, we'll just say you can't write it. Yeah. You can't write that kind of comedy. That, that was, that was completely off the cuff and just like it, you couldn't have gotten it any better than that. That's good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, that's um, that's the end of the show. So, Derek, anything else before we go? That's all I've got. Let me get our music here. Will it play? Oh, there we go. Uh, if you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond we are on facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro go support us on patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro get us up to the 50 dollars uh, $50 a month mark and we will do an extra episode every month where we do a commentary or whatever it is we feel like doing you'll get an extra episode every month and also wherever you get us at leave us a review Please, it helps get us in front of more people and makes the show better. So, Derek, please tell everyone what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Monkey!